Can you let Grady know how much we appreciate him and being here with us this morning? It is a privilege to have him back here and be with us. And Grady said, hey, as I crossed that, we had carved out a little more time. We we're going to have him do some uh, special in between uh, the worship set and me coming. And he said, uh, like so many of you have experienced, he says, I crossed that river into Ohio. Uh, allergies. You don't know anything about that, right? And uh, so, uh, but it is, so what I did is I adjusted down my preaching time a little bit to allow for that. And so listen, for all of you here who long, just like one Sunday in your whole life to get out at noon, it's today, baby. All right. And so if you're excited about a short sermon, would you say amen? Yeah, that was a little more than I hoped for. A little zealous on that. Comedian George Burns said the following. Uh, he said the key to a good sermon is to make sure you have a great opening. Just like grab people, just draw them in, right? And he said, but also you've got to make sure you have a great closing. And he said, most importantly, make sure those two things are as close together as possible. And so uh, I hope to accomplish that uh, this morning. And so, well, we thrilled that Grady was here with us as Kyle's traveling back from our, our mission trip. And uh, we were going to you know, carve out that time. Today. Not, not just because we needed someone to fill in, but because here's why. It's because what Grady led this morning and what Kyle leads on a regular basis is incredibly important. And pastors, I'm just going to let you know a little pastoral secret, right? Far too often pastors have this idea that that is only necessary to have filler before we get up and preach the word, right? And as if what they're doing is not important, it's not uh, at the same level of importance. Let me just hear this morning. Praise is incredibly important. Praise is not the overflow of our experience. It is the expression of our faith. And so it's incredibly, incredibly important. So I knew that Grady was coming and we're going to have a time of worship this morning. So I was talking with a friend uh, just a couple weeks ago and told me, hey, hey, we're wrapping up our super summer. It's been a great series and and we're going to wrap up this way. We're going to have uh, Grady come. And I said, I think I'm going to teach on worship kind of an abbreviated format. I said, I'm not totally sure what passage or what uh, segment or, you know, I'm going to teach on. He said, oh, he said, what about the story of Jehoshaphat? He's like, we talked to that a couple weeks ago in our church, and he and I began to discuss that passage and, and reacquaint my thoughts around it. It's just a great, great passage on the power of praise and the power of worship. So if you have a Bible, let me invite you to take it this morning and turn to Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20, guys, that's on the left side of your Bible. I just want to acknowledge that this morning, all right? Second Chronicles uh, chapter 20 and just the story of Je- Jehoshaphat and a message entitled the power uh, of praise. And so as you're turning there, let me just kind of set the historical context for you a little bit uh, this morning. So after Solomon had died, uh, his son Rehoboam had uh, succeeded him to the throne and he proved to be a foolish and an incredibly uh, wicked leader. We know that from Second Chronicles chapter 12. It's just an account of all the unwise things he did while he was in power. And so he made life incredibly harsh. Uh, for the people of Israel. And so the people there in the north rebelled and they made Jeroboam uh, their king. And so in the year 930 B.C., uh, the nation was divided into the northern kingdom referred to as Israel. And then there was the southern kingdom referred to as Judah. And so sometime later along, uh, King Jehoshaphat found himself in a crisis in his leadership to which he had no answer for uh, he, he knew the circumstances and it wasn't a lack of experience. It wasn't a lack of intellect or leadership ability on his part. It was a challenge of such great proportion that he had no idea how to move forward. To put it another way, it was a mess. Have you ever been there? You ever walked through a season or a situation in your life and despite all of your training, all of your experience, all of your intellect, all of your engine, you just you can't figure it out. You don't know how to fix it. You don't even know where to begin. And so you just kind of threw your hands up and say, Lord, it's a mess. 
I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know when you're going to show up. I don't know how you're going to show up. But Lord, it is a mess. And I don't know what to do. And so that's exactly where Jehoshaphat found himself. And so here's what he did. Second Chronicles chapter 20 this morning. We'll just read uh, verses 1 through 13. And so it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. And there some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria and there in Hazan Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. Now, that's so different than what we do sometimes, do we not? Like a fasting is a, is a time of seeking the Lord at a deeper level. And so, so oftentimes well, we don't do that. We just ramp it up and we do it. Like, matter of fact, listen, you know what I do when I get stressed out, when I feel a great army is coming against me? I don't fast. I go to the buffet. I do just the opposite, right? Is that too transparent this morning? Somehow I stay in impeccable shape. I don't know what it's genetics. Don't hate me. But he, he just said, hey. I, I don't know what to do. And so the only thing I can do is to seek the Lord at a deeper level. And so verse five goes on, says, then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand, is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence for your name is in this temple and cry out to you in our affliction. and You will hear and save. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are. You see what he's saying there? Hey, God, remember that time when we could have totally, like, this would have been a non-issue because we could have destroyed them and you said, no, don't do it. And, and, and we just, we, we obeyed you, but, but here they are. They're back. And they're angry. Here they are rewarding us by coming through out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. I love this part. But our eyes are upon you. And now all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. I don't know why it is, but when we find ourselves in those situations where the great armies of the enemy are coming against us, we often don't just stand before the Lord. We don't often can't say with integrity that our eyes are upon you. We worry. We get filled with anxiety. We try to fix it and, and figure it out. And we get so surprised and overwhelmed. Like, I, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe God has allowed this. And I've been faithful and I've been doing my part. And we were so surprised often in seasons of struggle and in suffering. But Scripture clearly says in John 16, Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. You know, one of the things I never pray for, I never pray for tribulation. Like I'm never sitting down and going, God, you promised it. You've not delivered. And I want you to deliver all your promises. And so, Lord, send tribulation if you would, please. 
Now, I've prayed that on other people. Now, is, that, is that wrong as a pastor? Like, is that, again, too transparent? Right? And so when the Scripture says that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer, when the Scripture says that man born of a woman is but a few days and full of sorrow, we, we know all of those truths, we know those promises, we know that suffering and seasons of struggle are part and parcel with following Christ, but we're still overwhelmed or surprised, or if we're honest, disappointed, and maybe even angry when it comes. And so Jehoshaphat found himself in a situation and said, God, you're our God. You deliver us. You gave us this land. And we could have totally destroyed those people. And you, and you wouldn't allow us to. And so, God, you remember that? Because guess what? All those folks, they're back. And they've got a lot of people with them. And they're angry. And I don't know what to do. But my eyes are upon you. And you will save us. But we're surprised. When the enemy rises up against us, when the life gets hard, when trials come our way, when suffering happens, it's really all someone else's sinful choices. But we should be surprised. Remember years ago, the late Jerry Falwell said this. He said, you're either in the midst of a crisis, you've just come out of one, or the phone is about to ring. Have you experienced that? It just seems that life sometimes is a series of connected crisis or struggles or trials uh, over and over and over so many times in our life. And so in the story of Jehoshaphat, for just a few minutes, I want to share with you uh, the power in praise and the process that allows us to experience that uh, this morning over the next few minutes. So as I walk through it, if I want to understand, if I want to come to that place and just say, God, our eyes are upon you. And our confidence in you is in greater than ever. And we know that you're going to respond. This situation has not overwhelmed us. The enemy will not overtake us. What does that look like to live that way in spite of life and its challenges? So the first thing I want you to see is simply this. Is that when you come to the place where you say with integrity, I don't know what to do. This situation is bigger than me. I don't have an answer for it. Those things. What do you do? The first thing you do is simply this. According to this passage is to wave the white flag. It's just to come to the place. There's no crucial way I could overstate this. And I just want to spend a second here. But the reason is often this. Have you experienced this? We don't like to say we can't do something. Have you noticed that? It's the reason we don't like to say, God, we're waving the white flag. We have no answers. We have no inability. We have no ability to fix this thing. Listen, it's the same reason that men don't stop and ask directions. How many of you have never heard my story of going to Kentucky and got lost? How many of you have never heard that story? Anybody has never heard it? It only takes one. Let me share it. So Tosh and I, this is early in our marriage. I'm 22, so she would have been, I don't know, 13, something like that. And so if you're a guest, by the way, it's a joke. That's a joke. We're married in the Commonwealth of Kentucky and certain parts of Tijuana. I do want to do want to share that. When we got married, we're incredibly, uh, some of you aren't coming back, are you? Like, this is... This is weird. This is weird. The guy's creepy. It's fat. So anyway, so so we're driving, and we're going to my best friend's wedding down in Kentucky. And uh, we we had been. Tasha says she remembers a little clearer than I do. We were not arguing. We've never had an argument in 16 years of marriage, but we were having an intense moment of fellowship, right? And so we're in the car, and she's just flipping through a magazine. I don't remember what the discussion was, and I can't recall her sin at this time. It's been so many years, and so so we're right. We're driving in the car. And I'm just cruising along, and, and she's just flipping a magazine. We're going to Kentucky. And she just, as cool as can be, you know, 17 years old, 18, I don't know, says, uh, is that the Dayton Mall? And I said, you just sit there and be quiet, because I know a shortcut through Michigan. Let's just keep driving. <laughs> Listen, I wasn't about to say I was going the wrong direction, right? It's that same pride inside of us. 
It's that, listen, the same reason we don't ask directions is the same base reason that you ever sit back and say, God, I don't know what to do. And we hate to admit, listen, we live in a competitive culture. We hate to admit defeat. We hate to acknowledge that our experience, our education, our intellect can't figure this thing out. But listen, if you ever want to experience the power of praise in your life where you step back and say, I didn't know what to do, but God showed up and I want to worship him in response to what he did when I did not know what to do. Then the first thing you have to do is to wave the white flag. Look at verse 12 again. What's he say in verse 12? It says, oh, our God, we not judge them for we have no power. I, I, I can't I can't fix it. I don't know. I don't know. I can't figure this out. We have no power against this great multitude that's coming against us, nor do we know what to do. And so the first process in experiencing God's power in praise is the process in acknowledging our own powerlessness and coming before the face of the father and say, God, this is bigger than me. And it's beyond me. But there's not a single thing that's outside your hand, Lord. And I wave the white flag of surrender. Then I put myself in a position where I can solely and completely be dependent upon God and his provision. And when I do that, guess what? I enter into a place of worship. You remember, we've got four kids. Sometimes it feels like seven, but we've got four kids. And you know, I've noticed with, with my little ones, like when they're little, they're not incredibly interested in me. And then, you know, I've noticed when they're little, they, they, they cannot like... When Tasha's walking the house, sometimes it's like this, like she's just walking and those little ones are all that little ones on her. And when you go to the bathroom, and close the door, she beats her feet on the door. You know why? Because when she feels like she needs someone, she wants to draw close to the one that is nurtured and cared for her the closest and the most often. And so it leads us to the second place when I don't know what to do is when I wave the white flag of surrender and say, Lord, I'm powerless. We, we don't know what to do. But then the second thing I do is I draw close. I place myself under the wing, as the psalmist said, under the wing of the one who has cared and provided for me in times past. You know, the greatest comfort when you're walking through a season of uncertainty is God's faithfulness in the past. And to recognize and say, I don't know where we're going, Lord, and I don't know why you've allowed it, and I can't imagine how you're going to get glory from it. But here's what I do know, that in the past... You've been faithful. You've made provision where it didn't make sense. You gave answers when I've been ignorant. And God, you showed up. And so I have no reason to doubt you. So I don't know what to do, but I'm going to draw close to you. It's not enough to stop trusting in the strength of our flesh. Not enough just to admit ignorance. Listen, if you just stand back and say, I'm totally ignorant, but you never draw close to the Lord, then you're going to remain in ignorance. And so now that we wave the white flag of surrender to experience God's power of praise, we draw close during that time. What's he say at the end of verse 12 there? And that is coming against us. We don't know what to do. But look at this. But our eyes are upon you. Do you know the reason that you worry? Hypothetically, right? Because no one worries in here, right? You know the reason you worry? Is because all your focus is on the problem instead of the provision. And what he said is there's a great problem amongst us. But he said, Lord, our eyes are upon you. And when my eyes are on the provision instead of the problem, it gives an incredibly new perspective to my situation. And so he said, Lord, I, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. You know what that principle teaches here is simply this. Is that one of the keys to endurance in a season of suffering, one of the great keys that will sustain you during that time is worship. I've been doing this for 15 years almost. And one of the things that I will never understand is this, is that when people start walking through difficult times in life, the place they, they never, you know, they just kind of pull away from the church. 
And they just kind of get out there on their own, isolated from the flock and the fellowship and the encouragement and the worship, all those things. And they get isolated and allow the enemy to do battle one on one. Instead of drawing close to the family of faith, drawing close to the father, despite all my suffering, I come before the Lord and say, Lord, I need your strength. I need to draw close to you during this time because worship is a key to your endurance. One of the great stories we see this played out is certainly uh, in the life of Job. Uh, an excerpt in Job chapter two says this, Job chapter two, verse three. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on all the earth. A blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. And so Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and flesh and he will curse you to his face. You know what Satan was saying? there? Yeah, listen, he's faithful because you pay him well. Look at how you provide for him. Look at how you bless him. But take all of that away. Strip all of those things away and see if he worships you even then. See if the praise is still on his lips. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he's in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd, which to scrape himself with a broken piece of clay while he sat in the midst of the ashes. Now, I've never had a, a boil, but I hear they're incredibly painful, right? Like the only thing I've had that I can imagine is like chiggers. Anybody ever had chiggers? Yeah, chigger is the English translation of the Hebrew word boils. Just take my word for it, I'm a pastor, all right? And just that, that miserable feeling where I, I cannot get relief, and so that's he's struck with boils uh, from head to toe, and then you know, just you don't even want a sheet to touch him, it's so he just, you know, doesn't want anything to come around, so he's afflicted in this state. He's suffering. And then the one family member he had left, all his children had been, been killed. The one family member he had left was his wife, and she turned on him. Job chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 says this. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. God took away everything he had, all of his fortune, all of his children, except the one thing he wanted to take away was his wife, and he didn't. Someone said, why didn't God take away his wife? Because she was Satan's agent, and he needed her. Amen? Like, right? So, like, the one thing where he said, really, Lord? You're going to leave me with this? And she says, why don't you just do us both a favor and curse God and die and acknowledge the truth of our suffering. And Scripture says he, despite all these things, Job did not sin with his lips. And you think, well, that's a, that's a fluke. Job chapter 1, verse 18. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the people, and they're dead. Now, Southern Baptists, you know what we say? Shouldn't have been drinking wine. Amen. Like his own. It's a joke. Some of you did say amen. That's for the amen. Amen. And Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground. Listen, this is phenomenal. And fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb. The naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Now, in the end, in eternity, God gave him back tenfold all that he had lost in this time of suffering. But Job understood something. And the thing that sustained Job during this time is not that he prayed and God put it all back and not that he figured out a way to fix it or not. He said, hey, based on my experience, on my intellect or my education, here's how we can re-engineer the situation. No, the thing that sustained him during a season of incredible suffering was worship. And so Jehoshaphat came on a place. He said, it's getting ready to get really bad. And God, I don't know what to do. Except draw close to you. Verse 12. But our eyes are upon you. And Job realized there is power in praise so much that praise is the key to endurance during times of suffering. Worship draws us into the presence of God. In the presence of God, Scripture, the psalmist said, is fullness of joy. In the presence of God, there's peace in the midst of the storm. The gospel teaches in the presence of God, there is refuge in times of trouble. There is shelter under his wing is what the psalmist writes. There is power in praise. And so if you find yourself this morning walking through a situation or a season and you don't know what to do, you can't figure it out. You've counseled with everyone you know and you still don't know what to do. You do exactly what Jehoshaphat did in verse 12 when you just stand back and say, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And we're going to worship. And Jehoshaphat's perspective began to change and God began to show up in some Incredible ways. And when you into a time of worship through prayer, it completely changes perspective. And so what's the third thing you do when you don't know what to do? The third thing you do is this. You wait. You wait. Can I let you in a little secret this morning? We don't stand in the presence of God to get an answer. We stand in the presence of God to marvel at His glory. And you say, well, how long do I wait until God speaks and moves? I don't know about you, but everything inside of me hates waiting. Can I get an amen? I don't have road rage. But you know what my wife has acknowledged in me? She's a little bit of a psychologist, I guess. I didn't realize this. She said, you have drive through rage. And so I stand before you this morning, a broken man. Because it's true. Like when you've got six kids or four, there's four, we got four, right? (laughs) When it feels like you've got six kids in the car. And you've got, listen, as many kids you have, listen, for every child you have in the car, you make the addition and deletion to the order times tenfold. So if you've got four kids in the car, you've made 40 changes to the food order and you walk up there and it's not right. And I feel the wrath of God welling up inside of me at that moment, right? There are several times Tasha talks me off the cliff at the drive-thru. Because I do not like waiting. That's exactly what you do when you get in the presence of God. Because we don't enter God's presence to get an answer. We stand in God's presence and our eyes are upon Him. Verse 12, why? Because His glory deserves it. Look at verse 14 and 15. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 14. Then... Then, after our eyes are upon you, after we're saying, God, we don't know what to do. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Madaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all of you Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord, you do not be afraid. 
Don't be dismayed because this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Well, God, what are you going to do? Tomorrow we'll go down against them and they'll surely come up the ascent of Ziz and you'll find them at the end of the brook, the wilderness of Jeruel. And you will not need to fight this battle. Position yourself, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head and his face to the ground and all Judah to the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of Karathrites and of the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord of God of Israel with voices loud and high. You know what they did there? God said, listen, Lord, we don't know what to do. We're waving the white flag and we're going to enter into your presence. We're going to draw close. Our eyes are upon you. And God, we're just going to we're going to wait until you do something because we know that your glory. This, listen, this is not beyond you. We don't know what to do, but God, this is not taking you by surprise. And God said, here's what I want you to do. And I'll just kind of finish the story for the sake of time. God sends the praise team out on the front line and they defeat the army, not with their weapons or by their mind, but by the praise of their lips. And so you wait until you hear from God. And in hearing from God, you stand back like Jehoshaphat and say, man, I've never seen that before, right? Right, like this army, and we're going to send the praise team out there on the front lines. Now, I've wanted to do that a couple times. I've felt that way, right? And God, you're going to show up. And the power of our praise is going to defeat this army when we don't know what to do. Don't you love that? Give thanks to the Lord for His steadfast love endures forever. The story goes on. I'll just wrap it up. The story goes on. It took them three days to gather together the spoils of the victory that God gave by the power of their praise. And they never looked at a sword, only a song. Maybe you're here this morning and you're kind of in a Jehoshaphat moment of your life and you're just saying, I don't know what to do. I can't, I can't figure it out. I, I can't explain it. I don't understand how God's going to work it out or get glory from it. I don't know what to do. You do exactly what they did here. You wave the white flag. You draw close to the Lord. And you wait. And let God give the victory when you couldn't. If you're here today and you're walking through a painful season and you've tried everything imaginable to fix the situation, Maybe what God is looking for you in the midst, looking for from you in the midst of your suffering. Is not a plan to relieve it. But a song in the midst of it. Can I just say that one more time? This one, that was a good place for an amen and you totally missed it. Maybe what God is looking for you in your season of suffering is not a plan to relieve it but a song in the midst of it. Let's pray together.